Hey there, you're back at Vernon First Baptist Church, and we are going into the last of our Sunday sermons around Easter. Decided to not go back to Hebrews quite yet, but spend another Sunday looking at the living King. What does it mean? What does the resurrection mean for us in our day-to-day life? How do we how do we live that out? How does it affect us? And uh, especially the affirmation that Jesus didn't just go to heaven as a spirit, but had a resurrected body. And does this affirm our bodies? What does it mean about creation? So explore this with us today. Uh, our reading today is from 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I also mentioned, we are going to spend just a little bit longer celebrating and focusing on Easter and on this resurrection life that Jesus gave us uh, at Easter before, before we go back to Hebrews. We've got two chapters left in Hebrews. I know some of you are just chomping at the bit to get back. I'm getting all these emails. When are we getting back to Hebrews, Pastor? No, I'm joking. But we will, they are wonderful chapters, and we are going to enjoy them. I know we will. But in the meantime, I thought, well, a little break from it, that doesn't hurt either. So we're, we're enjoying that. Now, okay, I want to get control here again. And I did. Look at that. Did I? Maybe I did. Okay. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to mention in all our announcements, I forgot to mention that I think it's next week we're having the bells play here. Is it? Yes. The bell choir, or handbell choir, they're going to be playing here next Sunday. And then next Thursday night, May 5th, they are having a concert at Grace Bible Church that I'd love for you to go to. So if you enjoy the, the handbells. It's been too long since we've played live here on our stage. And so I'm looking forward to that. All right. Okay. We're, here we go. Here we go. How about we pray and we're going to dive into this 1 Corinthians passage and what God has for us in it. Lord, I ask that you you would speak your resurrection life for us today, the implications of it. We ask for your wisdom coming from your living word as you are the living king. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, do you remember that nighttime prayer? I I used to have it up on my wall. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. 
And then that really encouraging part, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You know, it, it, there was some comfort. There was maybe some a little a, a bit of discomfort with that up on my wall each night if I looked at it. If I should die. All right, well, yes, Lord, please. But uh, maybe another day, maybe another day as a little child. Now, I did at times picture my spirit soaring up into heaven, getting my spiritual harp and sitting on the cloud. And, and I did wonder, well, what's this going to be like? I'm not quite sure. But Paul, if given the chance, Paul would have corrected my thinking regarding this. Paul writes in this chapter, reminding the Corinthians of the truth of Jesus. Not that he was just a good man that had lived among, did some miracles, or that even he had died as a martyr. It wasn't just that. All right. No, no, let's stop. Good. But also, so not that he just was a good man, that he had died, but that he rose again. Very important for Paul. And some might debate this truth. Uh, but most historians would concede that though it cannot be proven scientifically, that there is sufficient proof for a belief in this. Paul lists the people who saw Jesus here in this passage. And though we're not sure who these 500 are, there's not a list of them, the main point of all of this is that this, this writing endures. Theologians state that Paul was most likely quoting a creed of some sort that would go right back to years or even months after Jesus' resurrection, that people understood this. They said, wow, this, this is something that needs to be repeated, that they wrote out and repeated in their services as they met together. The reality is, it would have been thrown out if this was false. How do you quote something like this, spread it around, and, and have it be continued to believe? It would have been a massive conspiracy for this fledging little early church. People would have said, no, there's no truth to it, let's throw it out. We could also argue for the change in the scared disciples, who should have been scattered you strike the head, the sheep scatter, right? That's how it goes. But no, they weren't scattered after Jesus' death because of the resurrection. So I'd encourage you to, to feel free, and when you talk about Easter, you talk about the resurrection, if, feel free to admit to any skeptics that you know that you cannot prove that Jesus rose from the dead. You can't, and you can say that, I can't prove it to you but also that there are many reasons to have faith that it happened, to believe in it. And one, of course, being life change, that we get to enter into a real relationship with this Jesus, our creator, and the change that the resurrection brings in our life. Now, the changes that come, there's theological changes, and there are very practical ones. So first, Jesus' resurrection gives us our hope for eternity. As we sang about, heaven is a wonderful place, and I want to see him face to face, which is very important. Paul tells us that this gospel, this gospel, he says, which it means good news, 
Sometimes we say gospel, people are like, what are you talking about? Well, this is, the word just means good news. And this is good news that Paul was talking about, wants us to share. The good news that we stand on is that Jesus dying in our place and rising again offers us his true life. It is our rescue, the word he uses here, salvation, means healing, God's wholeness, rescue, offering a life of purpose. Without fear of death, invitation into relationship with the Creator. In verse 14, Paul says this. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. This is how important the resurrection is to Paul. And though we could stay on that theological and spiritual truth, as we often do, I want to point out a bit more of a practical side effect to the resurrection that's often overlooked today. See, for much of my life, I thought the Christian life was purely spiritual. That is, we prayed our Bible, and prayed and, and read our Bible. How does that little song go? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Right? Lovely little kid song. But that I had this picture of spiritual growth and that that was the, what the Christian life was, was all about. That this body and this world around us, well, that's all going to get, you know, we're going in the ground and the whole world's going to get burned up. And so it's, it's a, sort of all a bad thing down here. But one day my spirit's going to heaven and that's the good part. Though my experience of life was a little different. And I would get confused. I don't know if you've experienced this. The joy I'd find in a well-cooked meal. Our Easter feast that I talked about earlier. Boy, it did not disappoint. Or the beauty of a flower. The fun of a dance party or a game out on the field. Summer camp. What a joy. The physical experience of it canoeing down a river, along a lake, out biking. Even the heartfelt spiritual response of a hug, a physical hug. Yeah, we've missed those, haven't we? I recognized in these fleshly, carnal joys something good. But I think I grew up thinking that they we're not spiritual and therefore something less. I thought our great hope is looking forward to shedding these bodies and entering into a spiritual heaven. But the resurrection of Jesus messes with this theology. Easter says that this is wrong. Now why? The resurrection affirms creation including our bodies and the world around us. Now, I want to show you a, a favorite resurrection scene that I love from John 20, as we look at this. It's uh, Mary and Jesus in the garden. And there's lots of paintings about this. And usually, they at least show the garden. There's Jesus with a shovel, dressed as all gardeners are dressed. You know, she thought, oh, he's the gardener, right? There's a, here's a color, color one. Again, 
no shirt. Any gardeners dressed like this? Maybe some do. Uh, and what gardeners in the Middle East looked like this? I'm not quite sure. There's some discrepancy there. Here we have them in a little blue sh sash, you know, a little blue outfit, doing, maybe doing a little dance, dancing in the garden. I don't know what Baptists would say about that, but uh, here we go. Here's a little bit of a gardener's outfit. You know, who has that? Though, again, that shovel with no shoes. I'm not sure about that. A little bit of, a little bit of trouble. I don't, I'm not sure. But this one I love. Now, yes, he's not necessarily a gardener's outfit, but I sure love it. Look at that garden, the colors of it. And at least Jesus is the right color. And so I want you to take a look at this as we read this passage from, from John 20 and hear what happens with this story. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, dressed in his blue sash. She said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. If you take a look at this, John is very clear to show us that Jesus', Jesus kingdom is restarting what was started at the very beginning. Where does this take place? Why would she think he's a gardener? Because they are in a, they're in a garden, which is often the case. A tomb, there would be a garden surrounding a tomb, much like our cemeteries can be beautiful and garden-like. It would have been that case. And here is Jesus standing as the new Adam, empowering a woman, not shaming her. We don't have Adam and Eve running, hiding from God, and God saying, where are you? We have him asking her, who is it you are looking for? Recognizing that she is looking for him. There is a new creation motif here. Bringing the coming of Jesus' kingdom and his resurrection together. Affirming he is the living king who will oversee it all. Creation is beautiful and it's affirmed even in its fallenness. Now, Jesus also has a new body, right? Mary could hold them. He said, don't, don't cling on to me. Don't hold on to me. I have to go. 
The disciples could put their hands in his wounds, in his side. He could eat with them. And uh, maybe best of all, he could seemingly either walk through doors with this new body or even disappear and reappear at, at will. We're not quite sure. And I think this would be a great evangelistic tool for our teens. Hey, do you ever think it would be cool to just be able to disappear and reappear? We'll let you introduce you to someone. I got my friend Jesus. He can do that. See, Jesus didn't just go to heaven when he died. When he died on the cross, the Spirit just didn't ascend, and then that was it. Hey, he's in heaven, and when we die, all our spirits are going to go to heaven. He was resurrected. And if you look back at the Old Testament theology, this was expected that there, there isn't a spiritual ascension, that we are embodied souls, and that our bodies will need to be resurrected. And Jesus comes back in this glorified body, completely purified, recreated. Paul, in verse 20, if we go back to that, that 1 Corinthians 15, as he goes on in this, he has some great theology here, and he says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's leading the way for us. So what does this mean for us? It means that Jesus is in the business of making all things new. It does mean our eternal heavenly existence won't just be spiritual, but will be uh, this glorified body, resurrected experience. A new heaven and a new earth, Scripture talks about. Isaiah 43 says the Messiah will renew things. And in Revelation 21.5, it's even clearer. He who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. This is the work of Jesus. And in that, there is a renewal of creation. Yes, ultimately, there will be a complete and utter renewal. But in the meantime, the world around us is to be cared for not abandoned. We have a role to play right here, right now. Now, don't worry, this, I'm not being just my arm twisted by liberals or Democrats. This isn't propaganda. This is biblical. Right? I know of Jesus followers who have for decades been trying to help champion this cause. To say, let's care for our world well. Let's Let's enter in with Jesus in the renewal of all things, in part as an implication of Jesus' resurrection. But he affirms this. Lauren and Mary Ruth Wilkinson are uh, incredible authors, professors at Regent College. I think retired now, but they were there when we were there. We got to go out to their farm on Galliano Island for a weekend and, and feast with them and learn from them. They, they've actually wrote the book on caring for creation in your own backyard. And they repeatedly affirm what Jesus is doing. They say this, from the very start, we're charged to care for this world. At Genesis 128 says to fill the earth, to subdue and rule over it. That means to shape and form it, not dominate, to have dominion, but in a good sense for good not in an assaultive or abusive way. And they would point to Paul's uh, letters in Colossians saying, 
And Jesus, in him all things were created, in him all things hold together, and we can be a part of that. He continues by stressing that just as Christ is involved in the creation of all things, so he is also involved in their redemption. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. There's a sense where God's shalom, wholeness, includes creation. Jesus' incarnation and then resurrection are the affirmations that what God has created is still good and can be renewed. So Friday was Earth Day. Did anyone see that? Friday, Earth Day? And if anyone can celebrate creation, it can be us as God's creation alongside this world. So let's celebrate this gift God has given us. And I'm super excited about the yard bins. Everybody get their, their yard trimming uh, compost bins stuck outside of your house, and you're wondering, what is this thing? Well, we had those back in Vancouver when we were there, and we loved it. And some of you might be going, well, I can't put out my garbage every week. I have to switch. Well, sometimes switch, sometimes new things are good. And I'm super excited that we get to put these things, because we have been composting in our yard, but there's perfectly compostable things, like, like um, meat and bones. Those can be composted, and we've had to throw them away, because we don't have a good option for composting them. Now we do. Less in our landfills is a good thing. And I know that there are choices we can make as individuals, and buying into something like this is great, as families, even as a church. I was excited to see the recycling we do as a church when we first arrived, that you're on board with this, ready to go. And I know our very own John Barling is on the Sustainable Environment Network Society. I don't know if you've heard of that. He's talked about it up here in a kid's moment. He just did a presentation on Thursday night on solar power, and on Saturday gave out 2,000 trees. And this is part of how he is joining in with the renewal of God's creation. And many of you know that Miranda and her class did a walk, a walk for water on Friday with her school, raising awareness and, and money. They raised over $4,000 already, and more is coming in, providing good drinking water for those in our world that don't have it because of abuse of our world. Even just across the lake, as ours is one of many indigenous reservations that struggle to have uh, good, clean drinking water at all times. So I trust that we can continue to learn what we can do together, seeing these changes and joining in the work of caring for our creation. It's a joy. It's not meant to be a guilt trip, but an invitation to join Jesus in this. Now the other one, and this might be easy for some to know and figure out. Others might be harder. That our bodies are gifts from God. And here again in the resurrection, we see Jesus didn't just go to heaven when he died, happy to be out of this wretched flesh bag of a human body that he had borrowed for a few years, but was resurrected in his own body, glorified. Yes, but still a physical body. And this asserts that our bodies are something holy, sacred, and good. Gifts from God. And will be completely renewed one day. Amen? 
Because, yes, in the meantime, they are gifts that let us down and down and down sometimes as we get older. But they are gifts nonetheless. And Paul compares our bodies to seeds here in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. In verse, uh, oh boy, where does he say it? In verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Yes, there's a sense where we, we recognize the frailty. But does that mean we just ignore our bodies? We don't have to. Tom Wright, a great theologian I respect, he's convinced if it is true that God is going to transform this present world and renew our whole selves, bodies included, then what we do in the present time with our bodies and with our world matters. For far too long, many Christians have been content to separate our future hope from present responsibility, but that is precisely what Paul refuses to do. His full-bodied doctrine and promise of resurrection sends us back to our present world and our present life of bodily obedience to our Lord in the glorious and sobering knowledge that if there is continuity between who and what we are in the present and who and what we will be in the future, we cannot discount the present life, the present body, and the present world as irrelevant. That means there is something sacred in our bodies and how we use them and the joy that we get in them. We can affirm them as good. Now, some of our Christian heritage has led us to, to mainly feel shame when it comes to the joys we experience in our bodies instead of a wise and joyful stewardship of the freedom that God gives us and the joys we have. And you would say, but pastor, I know my Bible, and it says that the flesh is bad, and we must do away with the flesh. And Paul uses this term, flesh, sarx is the Greek, and he uses it many times, but it's always tied to the idea of our old nature. As we talked about last week, that, that part of us that would make pleasures more important than God, that we'd end up serving our flesh instead of properly enjoying it and using it as we serve God. And I, I really think that there's been a struggle with our younger generations. Our younger generations right now, they have responded to what they've seen taught about the body in a couple of ways. One is that they've overindulged in the pleasures of the body knowing a little bit like I did inherently that there's something wrong with the complete denial of joy in our body, that there's this disconnect in it. And so they just say, no, thank you. And then they go off and it's overindulgence. Or some saying, well, you guys in the church, we, you don't even really care about these bodies. And they go into this self-improvement mentality of the body, heading towards an idolatry. And we have an opportunity as a church to affirm a healthy theology of the body instead. And that includes how to care for them. It's a good thing to care for these bodies that we've been given. The joy that someone like Eric Little 
felt running in chariots of fire. It was a gift from God. The joy that we can have in going for a walk or a swim, a bike ride, chair yoga, knowing that using our bodies well and keeping them in shape is part of our Christian faith. And a healthy spirituality is a gift from God. It also means what we eat matters. Maybe you don't want to hear that. But good quality food makes a difference. And a balance in our diet makes a difference, especially post-pandemic. I still know I need to get back into balance a little bit. I'm looking forward to getting out this summer a bit more. Getting beyond some of the, of the struggles that we've had these last two years. Those blahs that keep us from appreciating this life and all the gift that God gives us. Now, how many of you have heard about gut health? Yeah, there's a few, few hands. My wife and daughter love to make up this concoction in a mason jar and leave it on the counter to go bad. At culture, I think, is what they, the experts call it. Some culture. And then they make me drink it. No, it's called kefir. And it's absolutely wonderful. It's seriously good for you. There's these incredible gifts that God has given us to help us have our bodies in balance. And we can learn about these things. There's also the active in mission campaign coming up. I know we were part of this last year, trying to get out and do a few little things. We can combine our activity, however simple that might be, from gardening in a flower pot to walking, even our worship, water play, and then to combine that with our passion for change in this world. Just like Miranda did with her water walk and her class last week. So I encourage you to challenge yourself to use your body, the body you've been given, as a gift for the benefit of others. In something like active admission on those dates, Jesus is doing something new. And we can even use our bodies in worship, from the work we do, to play we do as worship, to raising our hands. I know some of us enjoy that. We are embodied soul, and so there's a reason that we stand when we sing. It is an acknowledgement, and we use our bodies in worship. Our bodies are good, and one day we'll be full of glory with no shame. Paul ends this chapter with a Hosea quote. He says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And then he gets actually very practical after this whole passage, a whole chapter about the resurrection. He ends with this. Therefore, My brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not, oh, just hope and pray that we're out of here. He says, get back to work. Do, do stuff with these bodies that you've been given. Tom, write again, and then we are almost done, I promise you. It is a matter of the greatest encouragement to Christian workers, most of whom are away from the public eye, unsung heroes and heroines, getting on faithfully and quietly in their God-given tasks, that what they do in the Lord during the present time will last. For matter will stand for all time. How God will take our prayer, our art, our love, our writing, our 
political action, our music, our honesty, our daily work, our pastoral care, our teaching, our whole selves, how God will take this and weave its varied strands into the glorious tapestry of his new creation, we can at present have no idea. That he will do so is part of the truth of the resurrection and perhaps one of the most comforting parts of all. So, can we begin to embody, you see what I did there? To embody a resurrection theology, more so and more so, that affirms this world around us, that affirms our body, seeks to care for them, appreciate the gift they are, letting those around us see our joy that Jesus affirms a bodily existence and still looks forward to the day when we will shed this present earthly existence. But when we will see them transformed into what Jesus has planned for us all. I'm going to invite our, our worship team back up and we're going to sing a song. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all to renew our lives in many senses. So let's pray and then we will sing together. Jesus, I thank you for resurrection life and all that it means for us. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us our role and our part in using these bodies for your glory, that you can be glorified in all that we do, in all that we worship. And as we care for this earth you created, we ask your blessing on us all. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stay standing for a closing benediction, to open your hands as a symbol of receiving what God has for you today. As you go from the service, know that each moment of each day is a gift from God. In all that you do, He has joy. And you can have that joy. His joy can be your strength each day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.